0: This is Missing Alyssa, a podcast documentary series about the unsolved disappearance of Alyssa Turney, a teenage girl from Phoenix, Arizona. Alyssa has been missing since 2001. Hi everyone. I'm Ottavia Zappala, and this is a bonus episode of Missing Alyssa. I really want to thank you all for the amazing support you've shown for this podcast. We've had 51,000 total downloads, which Raz and I didn't expect at all, especially for an indie podcast with no budget. I'm so grateful to those of you who have left a review on the different players. Please continue to do that because it really helps. And please, please, please share Missing Alyssa through your social media accounts, tell your friends, and if you like the Facebook page, that will guarantee that you'll be updated with any groundbreaking news on the case, should there be any. So in this episode, I'm going to be playing the recording of a casual chat I had with Sarah Turney. We discussed things that we didn't get a chance to talk about in the original series. The focal point of the discussion is a conversation that Sarah had with her dad after he was released from prison. She did this very gutsy thing where she invited Michael to a Starbucks to chat and secretly recorded the conversation on her phone. And he does say some surprising and at times outrageous things. Unfortunately, I can't play the actual recording, but we'll definitely let you in on the highlights of what was said. This episode is really for those of you who want to know more details about the case. So here it is. We're just going to jump right into it. Enjoy. Yeah, before we get into um, the recording, you know, with your dad, what was what was like the aftermath of the podcast for you? You know, how did it change the way you feel about things and... Um, to me, it seems like you're more motivated now about finding a resolution than you were when I first met you.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's definitely sparked something inside of me. It's it's um it's gotten me really excited about it, to be totally honest. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and lots of things are happening now, and um, people are coming out and talking to me, and you've spoken to family members I haven't spoken to in you know a decade or so, and I think that's great, and yeah, it, it's sparking all these uh, feelings, and when you speak to me, it makes me remember more things. Um, and it, it helps piece everything together. And it's always really wonderful to hear the story from an objective point of view. Um, that's kind of what I've been seeking. When, when I speak to people about the story, I always want to hear what they think of it. Um, because I feel in my position or anyone within the family, it can get really blurry and really messy with your emotions. So I love to hear it from somebody who, um, not that you don't care for me or my family, but it doesn't have that um, emotional connection to the story like that. It's nice to just hear the facts and Mm -hmm. what people think of it.
0: You know, while we were uh, talking, you know, before we published, there was a lot of speculation about whether there was going to be charges, whether, you know, what was going to happen. And then until the last
1: moment, you kind of held hope and nothing happened. I did. Yeah. Um, I really thought for sure he was going to be charged and um, he thought the same thing. He couldn't believe that they just let him go. Um, yeah. I still think it's unbelievable. Um, I'm hoping something's in the works. Um, I think I forgot the second part of your question. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, no, there was no second <laughs> part. <Nope. thought. laughs> uh, I mean, I what I'm thinking is how disappointed were
1: you? Yeah, no, I was extremely disappointed. And um, even with the podcast, you know, not disappointed with podcast, but when, I, when the podcast came out, I thought maybe someone would hear it and something would happen and they would push for it. It's just, the story is so unbelievable. And I think all the clues point to one person and that's my dad. And, you know, now that it's gone through many mediums of, you know, publication, I, yeah. I still can't believe that it's not glaringly obvious to the powers that be that have the fate of my sister in their hands. How does someone in power not hear this or hear this story and think I have to help? Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah so um do you know where he's living right now um it's my understanding he's living in a halfway house somewhere downtown phoenix still that same one um i i'm not sure to be no. totally honest i think he might have bounced to a second one but i don't but where he's paying rent there it's my understanding it's it's like a motel type of okay. situation i don't know i didn't ask him about his financials to be honest mm-hmm. i didn't care um yeah i didn't ask him the nitty-gritty but i, I believe he's moved once mm-hmm
0: you were um you know you were nervous when he was about to be released and I was nervous um while I was making the podcast um but I personally you know I I kind of let go of all that anxiety and fear. Good. Um, after the <laughs> after we released the podcast <laughs> for whatever reason. That's good. Um totally totally subjective reasons. I mean but
1: I mean, life has kind of gone back to normal for you, too, I suppose. It it has, yeah. Um, I had a lot of anxiety that he was going to try to manipulate me emotionally, Um, which, you know, when I spoke with him the little bit that I did, I believe he was. Um, But I didn't succumb to it, Um, and everything is back to normal.
0: You spoke to him a few days ago. Um, It had been years since you'd spoken to him,
1: right? Um, I mean, you'd email him a year. back and forth. Oh, over yeah. the phone. I mean, I think about a year over the phone. Okay, but it had been eight and a half years since I'd spoken to him outside of a prison phone line, and I think that was what was most intriguing to me. Even outside of a cell phone, I just know how paranoid he is of a conversation being recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, fair enough. So I wanted to speak to him face to face, where I thought he'd be the most vulnerable if I could speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I didn't think I'd capture it on cell phone. I knew I wouldn't capture it on a prison recorded line. So I wanted as honest as I could get from him. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, so
0: you decided to do this kind of gutsy thing of recording,
1: recording your conversation. I did record our conversation, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's also when you speak to him, he throws so many stories at you that it's really hard to keep track. And it's extremely useful for me to record it and re-listen to it. Even listening to it just two or three times, I would catch something new every single time Mm -hmm. um, because he trails off so much that it's hard when you're trying to think, you know, what are you going to say in your head? And what do you want to ask him? And then he's telling in a story that's not relevant, but maybe interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had to record it and just keep track and I also wanted to show my family you know this is this is what he says when we ask these questions this is his answer so i thought it was important
0: so i listened to it all and i did notice that sometimes when he was kind of put up against the wall you know with um where you know where he felt like he couldn't get out of a certain question um he would either laugh and then change a subject or just um, answer something irrelevant and then change the subject. So it was interesting to see where those times occurred, like during particularly important topics of conversation, which I'll go through. This Um, is why
1: I wanted you to listen to it, so you could super (laughs) analyze it in a way that I couldn't. (laughs) Right.
2: So I'm going to ask you a quick question. You said that even he was surprised that he wasn't caught or so why, mm-hmm. what did he say? Like, how did he say that you realized that he was surprised?
1: Um, he told me that he couldn't believe that the police had let him go. Um, no warrant, no hang-ups, no nothing. That's kind of the way he phrased it.
2: And he still kept it as if, like, I'm not to blame, but they are stupid for not finding enough evidence against me even if I'm not to blame. It's like, what was... I'm trying to understand, like, what was his position when he said that? Was it more of, like... I'm lucky, or the
1: gentleman Um, I mean, I think he flip-flops his position constantly, but um, what he really thinks, probably that he's lucky and that he's smart and that he got away with it, and he thinks it's funny. I think
0: one message I received, I got from that conversation was that he didn't say it like this, but um, it sounded like he was saying, "I'm not guilty because they didn't have enough evidence on me."
1: Oh, exactly. They couldn't prove that I'm guilty,
0: so there.
1: Right, and I think he was extremely cocky. Um, And at one point I asked him, I said, why are you taunting me? Why are you speaking to me like this? I don't speak to you like this. Um, And it's just the whole time, he's just cocky. He thinks he got away with it, and he thinks it's funny, and he thinks he can emotionally manipulate everyone around him to believing him. He said, "I can't believe that my own children actually
0: believe I would kill one of my own kids. I thought you guys knew. I thought you guys
1: knew me better than that. You guys have it all wrong." He did. Yeah, he's just trying to emotionally manipulate. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the way I raised you. Didn't we have good times? And I try to explain to him there were good times and bad, and that's why it's so confusing, um, because it wasn't all bad. But, of course, this overshadows any type of Disneyland trip or staying up with me sick at night. This overshadows all of that, and I don't think he gets that. Right. Um, Let's get into some of the contradictions.
0: So, this past weekend, we met Detective Anderson, William Anderson, who was in charge of the investigation together with uh, Summer Shoe. And I had never met him before, and it was amazing because he he seems so passionate about the case, um, and he seems to remember every detail. And he
1: talked to us for, what, like over an hour? Yeah, something like two hours. And then I had gone upstairs and came back down and talked to him for another hour, so yeah. it was incredible. Yeah. Um, and you're right, he, he remembered probably more details than I did. Um, and I just tried to thank him, and I apologized that I was a brat when I was a teenager, <laughs> and it was nice to meet him again as an adult and kind of hear that story again. Right. Um, it was really kind of him because he doesn't have to do that. That's not part of his job. I know. And he said, he said no, it's okay, Sarah.
0: I understand. It's because uh, you're an adult now. He's not in your head anymore. One thing that he pointed out to us that you didn't know, maybe you, I get confused by the whole vehicle situation. <laughs> as you know, I even made a mistake about it on the podcast. But um, Anderson told you that a, a, about a year after Alyssa disappeared, your dad bought a second vehicle that was the same as the vehicle he already had and that they were both new vehicles or maybe you can explain. I don't remember the details.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was something to that effect. I remember he had one brand new GMC Sierra. It was white. Um, and I went down to the dealership. I was there when he bought it. They took a picture of us. And we had it on a calendar on the wall for a year. So it was really memorable. Um, But I had no idea there was a second truck. Um, And I don't know which came first or which came second, to be totally honest with you. I mean, did he buy the first one before he sold the truck that he had Alyssa with? Because there was the green truck originally that he had sold pretty quickly after Alyssa was gone. So I'm wondering, did he have that white truck all along? That's, you know, did he use that to dispose of her body, take it somewhere to Nevada, dump it and sell it there? So he had the, he would have had those two vehicles at the same time. Possibly.
0: And then um, disposed of the, um, sold the
1: white vehicle shortly after Alyssa went missing. Right. Maybe sold the the white vehicle and the green vehicle and then went and purchased the, the same white vehicle. Correct. Okay. And that's what Anderson was saying that struck him as odd. Right. Oh, absolutely. Who has a secret brand new truck when they have six kids? How do you keep that a secret? That's a lot of hiding. And um they found that they tracked it down, too. Yes, they found it somewhere in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And they searched it and they examined it and there was nothing. Right. He said he has a bag full of hair that's mixed with our dog hair. Mm-hmm. They can't find any human hair or Alyssa's hair. He still, he still
0: obviously has a lot of
1: anger towards the police, and in particular Anderson. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I heard him calling him so many names. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was honest with Anderson. I said, you know, this is what my dad said about you, and you know, Anderson was funny, and he brushed it off, and he's a gentleman, so.
0: You know, he he, he repeated several times, everyone keeps forgetting all the dumb things that your sister did. And I think after the third time he says it, you said, well, what does that have to do with anything? And at that point, there's just an awkward silence and he changes
1: the subject. Oh, absolutely. I think he was trying to villainize her in the situation. Well, look what she's done. Of course she ran away. Of course she left with some guy and went to California. Um, I think he was trying to plead the case that she was a terrible kid and that's just not how it was. Um, and yeah, I was getting extremely frustrated. Um, I was trying very hard not to limit his conversation um, because in the past when he's had memories of Alyssa, I've asked him not to talk about it. I get upset and I don't I don't like it when he speaks about her in, in pretty much any way. I don't feel like he has a right to. Um, so it's a really touchy subject for me and it, it upset me a lot. Mm-hmm. But it kind of
0: sounded like he was like, well, she did all these stupid things. So I wouldn't
1: put it past her to run away from home exactly right. but what in her behavior was so abnormal from other teenagers hmm it's everything all my friends did growing up so um
0: you know he, he kept going back and forth between all the different things you said um she never ran away from home you know you kind of said it flat out I don't believe she ever went you know got anywhere um and and then he starts saying well, then, who made the phone call? A ghost?
1: Yeah, I, I think he specifically brings that up. He, um, I think he staged the phone call. I don't know how. I can't tell you where or when, but it's not something that he couldn't have done. It's not something you can't reach out to someone and pay them 10 bucks and make a phone call from a pay phone. Give me a break. I mean, he was specifically pointing it out as if he knew that should be what was covering his tracks.
0: Yeah, Anderson was saying, well, your dad knew a lot of people in California. He had friends. He could have said he could have not that someone was collaborating with him on this, but he could have said, give me a call. I mean, who knows? It could have been anything.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah. He had um, I mean, he had a whole life nobody knew about. So Mm -hmm. Um, and then he
0: says, what about the runaway note then? Did I coerce your sister into writing that?
1: Right, and I say, no, I think it was from a different day. I think it was from a whole different conversation based off of um, information I've learned from you. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes a whole lot more sense to me. And I think that he was kind of struck by that. Um, I forget his exact reaction, but he seemed kind of taken aback. He, I don't think he was ready for me coming right back at him. Uh Uh-huh. Um, there was a certain point in the interview where he was kind of puffing up his chest and we're at a Starbucks and we're you know, across a small round bistro table and he goes about three fourths of the way towards me, you know, puts his elbows down and just starts talking. And, you know, for a second, I kind of find myself, you know, leaning back in my chair. And then I thought, no, like, and I just leaned forward and I was probably like four inches from him and I just wasn't having it. Um, I, throughout the conversation i think he was trying to intimidate me and i just wouldn't take it like he's so small to me he's so petty and worthless that i i I won't be intimidated by him but it um i think it says a lot that you're trying to intimidate your youngest daughter at a starbucks um yeah yeah
0: you you said the note makes no sense and I think there's an awkward silence and then he <laughs>, laughs out loud and then he just changes the
1: subject yeah he's but, absolutely insane
0: right and you persist and you say well she said she." and he says at another point he says um why doesn't it make any sense and you said well because uh, she said she's gonna take her money uh, that that that's why I took my money or that's why I saved my money and you said well she didn't take it um, and he says that he was, he says that she took the Disneyland
1: piggy bank money. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. It's insane. I mean, there's a, there's a new story now. Apparently she has all this extra money. Um, and I just don't believe that. I, I remember we had a big five gallon jar that we would save money for Disneyland in, but it was coins. Coins. It yeah. was nothing like a thousand dollars that didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. there's no way that was in our Disneyland fund. Right.
0: I, I think the most interesting thing for me, you know, like when I was listening to the recording, uh, I just wanted to jump in there and say something at one point, <laughs> at one point he says, do you want to know the real reason I picked her up that day mm-hmm. or I picked her up early that day because she was breaking up with John. She wanted to get with Mike and Mike is the guy from the video recording that she's making out with him on the couch. Right. So what I thought was odd about that was she wanted to break up with John, okay? So he asked her to pick her up early. She asked him to pick her up early. and But wait, she had made up her mind that morning that she was running away from home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so right. That doesn't make any sense, does it? (laughs) That was my opportunity. No, that makes zero sense because nothing he says is true. The same thing with popping her head in and saying, bye, I'll see you later to break up with you that's Usually not the way that goes down. But he says John was lying about that, maybe. Oh, right. Of course. <laughs>
0: Everyone else is lying. Yeah, so I really wanted to chime in at that moment and be like, wait a second, I just found this inconsistency. Oh, yeah. She no. decided to to run away from home that morning, yet she was wanting to avoid this guy, so dad, picked me up. Y- you know, the runaway plan just goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> not to mention, if she was running away, um, she would have avoided him anyway, so. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's
1: insane.
0: Um, so you know, he's saying this is the truth. This is what I, you know, this is what happened. Uh, I'm telling you everything I know. There's nothing else I can tell you. But then he says, "Meet me at my deathbed, Sarah, and I'll give you all the answers that you want to hear." And oh. you were saying what answers? I thought that these were the answers, and and the subject. I mean, he just drops it. He
1: drops the subject. He moves on. Yeah, this was my favorite part of the conversation. Um, I mean, I'll never get a confession, but this is about the closest I'll get. If that doesn't scream I'm guilty and have horrible, horrible things to confess on my deathbed, I mean, what else could that possibly mean? He's taunting me. Mm -hmm. He thinks it's funny.
0: He also says that if he wanted to kill Alyssa, he would have waited until he got that settlement from the school district. And it sounded like he was certain that he was gonna get that settlement. And Alyssa being the key witness in that, um, it would have been
1: stupid of him to kill her before he got that money. I thought that was pretty <laughs> pretty cold. Yeah, again, I mean, that's just one of his points. If you know, If, if I killed her, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I wait? But he'd been working on that lawsuit for years. That was nothing new. Um, when he brought up, you know, the the actions that they took against her that made her upset by riding, you know, the the special bus, she got very upset. Obviously, but um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Um, oh no, no worries. It
0: yeah. was more a statement that I made than a question, anyway. <laughs> um, now we're going to we're jumping to Paul Abbott. The whole Paul Abbott gave her a ride to California. Okay. The guy that uh, that. Um, came into the Jack in the Box frequently where Alyssa worked and ordered food there that he says um, was flirting with Alyssa was hitting on Alyssa um, and probably gave her a ride to California. So he told you again that Black Box Communications you know the company where um, Paul Abbott worked told him on the phone that he was a pervert that he would hit on girls and that he got fired for that but the records I read show that it's actually him who is telling that to the receptionist. Or, um, I mean, or, or at least I don't remember exactly, but at least there, there's no such record of the receptionist telling him that. Um, so it, it's that that's so interesting. I, I keep seeing this pattern of feeding people information and then planting it in their minds and then. And then going on as if, oh, yes, you know, he, he's a pervert. He hit on girls. They told me that. And just kind of turning the whole situation around. Oh, absolutely. That was another point where I kind of wanted to chime into your conversation and be like, they never told you that. You said that, you know, including that Chris hour is that how you say your name? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he never said that Paul was flirting with Alyssa. He told Paul, he told Chris that... Paul and Melissa were flirting, so
1: right. just this whole manipulation. Oh, absolutely. He just tries to plant these things in your head to help his story or make you feel bad for him or whatever fits his agenda at the time. Same way how he flipped it from, oh, you know, thank goodness I wasn't in Vietnam, and then reminiscing about the times he was in Vietnam come to find that he was never in Vietnam. It's Mm -hmm. just whatever suits his story at the moment is how he'll adapt it.
0: When you confront him, so you had found um, something about a domestic dispute between him and your mom when you were looking at the court's records online, and it was from 1985? 88. 88, right. It's, it just it doesn't give any details, but it just says it was a domestic dispute report, if if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I was actually just doing like a random internet search, and sometimes I'll just type my dad's name or Alyssa's name into things. Um, because there are so many things I don't know that just kind of come up. So I I try to research when I can, but I searched his name and it came up and I noticed um, that it was for January of 1988. I was born in October of 1988, Um, so either she had just found out she was pregnant, my mother, um, or she was pregnant and they knew and she had filed domestic abuse charges. So I had asked him about that and he Laughed maniacally, like a yes, he completely did. insane person. That was scary. <laughs> yeah, that's. It was just ridiculous. And I offered to pull it up my phone right then and there. And
0: what a strange reaction.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean,
0: that's. If he me. knew nothing about it, it, wouldn't I? I mean, I would assume that he would say, "I didn't know anything
1: about that." What? What was that? I feel better after talking to him. I think he made a complete fool of himself and just tripped over his words and tripped over all his lies Um, he spoke about Alyssa like she was nothing and like of course that's what would happen to her as she ran away and she got lost look at what she's done in the past I mean it was disgusting Um, he was aggressive and arrogant and tried to intimidate me and um, I hope he heard some of the things that I said and somewhere in the back of his mind he realizes who he really is and how Evil and disgusting, he is. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not sure he knows. I still think he thinks he's um, like a hero and like this underdog that has just been misunderstood his whole life, and nobody understands how hard it's been for him. And he didn't do anything. He didn't plant the bomb, or he didn't, you know, he didn't make the bombs. They were planted. And, you know, his poor stepdaughter's missing. And look at his wife that died. And, you know, he tries to play off this whole sad story, and I just won't have it. Yeah, so you didn't feel manipulated at all? No, as the conversation went on, I felt stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. Because I was just laughing at his tactics. Like, You're almost 70 years old. You walk here with a cane. You're trying to intimidate me. It's ridiculous. Just tell
0: me, last thing, I think, uh, about your communications with uh, Phoenix PD.
1: Oh, sure. Lately. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I... Since he did not get arrested when he came out of prison, I really want to know what's next. And that's kind of what I'm pushing for. And I do have a meeting coming up that I'm really excited about um, that I'm hoping to get all my answers. Um, I'm not expecting all my answers, but they need to be doing something. They have to be looking for the physical evidence they need to convict him or they need to convict him or come up with an alternative. They can't just drop it. It can't just be open forever. That's not acceptable. Is he um,
0: a lying manipulator or is he mentally ill? And there there doesn't seem to be, you know, a clear-cut answer. It might be both.
1: Yeah. A combination of both. (laughs) I think so because, um, like I said, he'd have the days where he couldn't get out of bed, but then he would go do these pull-ups and be extremely active. And I think he's whatever he wants to be in the situation, whatever suits him best. Yeah. If he's trying to intimidate somebody, he doesn't care. He won't back off. But if he needs to play that victim, like I said, I'm sure he did it many times in prison. I'm sure he just, you know, I'm just an old man, and I never did anything, you know, and the police set me up. I'm on your side. You know, but when he speaks to me privately, he goes, oh, I planned on blowing up those three buildings. And he's almost bragging. Um, That's right. He said that. He did. And it's almost like he wants to intimidate people. Well, he does want to intimidate people. um, But it's whatever suits him best. When he goes, if he ever speaks to the police, it will be one of two reactions. It will be what Anderson said, which is, you know, yelling profanities and I'm not going to talk to you guys and you won't get my story out of me. Or it'll be poor me. Look at me. This is what happened. No, my daughter's gone. She's missing. You know, it's my fault. I drove her away. It'll be whatever suits him in the moment. Yeah. And yet there's no there's no doubt that he's mentally ill. Yes, but not to the point where he shouldn't be held accountable. I want to make that clear.
0: (laughs) I want to make that really clear. Definitely not to the point where he doesn't know the truth of what happened that day. Exactly.
1: So if you
2: try to think, and especially with all the information you learned over the years, if you try to think what was his motive, do you have an idea of why would he do it?
1: Oh, yeah, he wanted to keep Alyssa quiet. Um, He thought it was all going to come to light with the sexual abuse and um, God knows what else he's done to her over the years. But he absolutely wanted to keep her quiet. She was already telling people, you know, that's what we know now. Um, I would love to know how, when those were reported in line to when she went missing. I wonder how close those were. Though I know it was over the years she had reported it. Um, But in short, she had to get rid of the witness. Yeah,
0: Definitely, she had been telling people more and more in the year
1: before she disappeared. Right. I think he was slowly losing control of her. Um, And especially when she's going to be 18, Mm -hmm. you can't control that anymore. Not a bit. Um, Yeah, I think her behavior slowly progressed throughout the years, but that's a teenager. You slowly taste that freedom, and you want more and more, and you push the limits. That's every kid. That's every teenager. Um, And I think he was really afraid of that. People were going to start listening to her and start believing her, and especially when she— Went over the age of eighteen and kept saying it. I think it would just it would just come to light, and it's one kid versus losing the rest of your kids.
0: Because at that point, um, she wouldn't have anything. She wouldn't have anything to lose or to fear because, you know, she would have moved out. She would be independent, so she would have
1: been more free to say what happened. Oh, exactly. He would have no control over her life, right? Um, legally, I mean, personally, he would have nothing to do with her. Um, but if she's still 17 and he still has custody, what can she do? She can run away and then the cops will bring her back home to him. She doesn't have a choice. Do
2: mm-hmm. you think that it could be that actually he was like in love with her and jealous and, and he just lost it? Or do you think it was literally just like, just being, I'll just use the word, an asshole?
1: I think it's completely possible. Um, with the way he continues to speak about the love for my mother and and the obsession, like I said, um, he's seeing her ghost. And when I I graduated from college, my dad said to me, um, well, that's great, but your mom came by and told me that she's just really disappointed that you didn't graduate high school. So he is obsessed with my mother to this day, and she died, gosh, what, 20-something years ago, 25 years ago now? Um, So I think he could have been completely in love with Alyssa. Um, When we were growing up, I was always really jealous that she looked more like my mom and I had always looked more like my dad. And everyone in the family had said that. My dad had said it many times. Oh, Alyssa looks so much like her mother. Um, And I think those two could completely be connected. I think he was obsessed. Gross. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And again, and he kept saying, well, I didn't do anything to you. She, she would have done something if I did something to you. And I say, yeah, but you didn't. And that's why she didn't do something. hmm It's, again, he's like setting up points to defend himself when it's it, it just doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah, and she sa- he says, uh, Alyssa, you, know, you knew her. She wouldn't have put up with that. No, and that's exactly why he had to get rid of her, right? Because yeah. she wouldn't put up with that because <laughs> she was telling people. And what would happen if she told me? And then I went and told a teacher or something because I was so clueless and optimistic and honest. Yeah. By the
2: way, did he listen to the podcast? Does he even know about it or did you even ask him?
1: Um, I, I didn't ask him if he listened to it because I know he didn't. I, I tried to explain what a podcast was to him. I said, um, it's a radio program he listened to over the Internet. It was the best way I could um, explain it to him. But, no, he hasn't listened to it. So he wasn't
2: it. even aware before
1: you talked to me? He, uh, when I brought it up, he goes, oh, is that the lady that sent me the letter in prison? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's her. Um, and he goes, oh, I don't know. It's just the same shit. It's just 2020 over again. And I was like, no, it's totally different. It's it's completely different. Um, and at one point, we were talking on the phone, and I told him, I said, if you want to know what I really think, listen to that podcast. There's five hours or whatever of of me and them speaking about it, and I'm very honest. Um, but I don't think he'll listen to it. I think it's it, it's too harsh of a reality for him. He doesn't want to hear it. To him, it's all lies. What does he say? Rumors, innuendos, and lies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate it so much when he says that. So many points during the interview, I wanted to be so bratty and just yell at him and tell him to shut up. And
0: but you're very respectful, actually.
1: I try. Well, I just, yeah, I had to. Um, I don't even. I don't know how I did it. I don't know. I thought for sure I'd be so catty with him, but I didn't. I I just didn't think that'd be effective. He wouldn't respond to that. Um, what I thought was so funny was the lethal injection comment. Oh. When he um he says, Oh, I'll confess to everything. If they can promise to give me lethal injection within ten days. (laughs) And I go, Okay. And he was so taken aback by that that I would just, okay, no no doubt in my mind. All right, absolutely sounds good to me. And uh, yeah. I think I really got him in that moment. That was like that was some sick joy for me in that moment because (laughs) I felt like I felt like maybe that got to him like I don't care if you live or die. Right. That must have been harsh. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like like honestly, speaking to him is like the meanest I ever am in my life. Like so it's not easy for me, but but as it went on, it, like I said it became easier cuz he's such a jerk and he's so cocky and tries to be so intimidating. It's, it's such a joke to me. And again, short of a confession, that's the closest thing I think we're going to get. He's basically saying, I will tell you. Yes, there's something there. Meet me at my deathbed. And then laughing like a fucking crazy person. He knows what he's doing. And I think throughout the conversation, I keep saying that. You know what you were doing. Why didn't you file the report in this way? You kn- you knew how to report that. And I don't think he was ready for that. Because I just came back at him, and that that was what I wanted to do. What, what are you talking about? Just to report what? the, um, to, when he reported Alyssa missing, you know, I asked him, I said, okay, so tell me your series of events. You, you think that he left or she left with Paul Abbott and he goes, yes, I do. And then I said, why didn't you report it as my minor daughter has left with an adult male? You knew that would have triggered something completely different than my minor daughter left. She left a note. And I think she went to her in South California. Those are two totally different reports and they're going to elicit two totally different responses from the police department and these are things he knows but in the conversation he goes back and forth between you know i've seen these things and i've been a cop to i don't know i haven't been a cop in 40 years at one point he Mm -hmm. says so again it's whatever suits him for the conversation right yeah That's why I just I kept going back to the facts because I'm like I don't want to hear your bullshit. So tell me about the note. So tell me about this. Why didn't she take her money? It, I just tried to keep him back on track because I don't want to hear about. At one point he goes, you know, I broke in 1992, and I said we don't need to go back that far. And he laughs, laughs and he's like, the the hell we don't.
0: No, he said he said yes we do because it all you know it's relevant, and and you and you're like no it's not relevant and he and he uh. He says,
1: oh, it's not, huh? Okay. (laughs) Because of, and I think that's his sad way of trying to tie it back to the union. (laughs) Well, it is, because in the union, this happened. And then um, one of my favorite moments, he was on, I was on the phone with him. I was trying to schedule this quick meeting, and he ended up talking to me for an hour, and I didn't record it because I didn't think about it. Um, But at a certain point, when he's telling me, oh, yeah, I was going to blow up those three buildings, and I said, oh, well, you know, that's, that's funny because if you listen to the podcast, I tell them I don't think you were going to do it. So I guess I think more of you than I probably should. And he just gets real quiet. And I said, you know, those people in the union building are, are afraid and they have your poster up and they've replaced the glass with this bulletproof glass is what I'm told. He's like, "Why wow, I didn't do anything because you were planning on it. And he laughs. And I tell him, like, that's not funny. People are scared. And he just doesn't care. Um, And I say, you know, they they called the union. Dad, they don't know who you are. And he laughs. And he's like, sure, they don't. And I try to explain to him, Dad, they're probably my age. They're in their late 20s, early 30s. They were kids when this stuff happened. They don't know you. They don't care. And I think that it really took him aback, too. Like, he, he doesn't hear these things from anybody. Like, he's insane. He'll make any connection. Like, if an outlet buzzes him, you know, if he gets electrocuted by an outlet, he'll be like, the damn union. (laughs) <laughs> they rigged that outlet. They knew. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that was missed in this case was those first days. I mean, look at the note. Look at the fact that she didn't take anything with her. Look at the fact that you have surveillance cameras outside, but there's no footage of it. You put just those three things together, put the sexual molestation aside, put you know family problems aside, just look at those hard, cold facts. Had one cop looked at it the day of? They could have said, hey, something's not right here. We need to take a a deeper look into this. And I think there would have been a lot more evidence then. They would have had the vehicle that he owned at the time. They would have had the home that he owned at the time um, with still fresh evidence there. It would have had her DNA in the house still there. I think that's the biggest thing. For those first few days, just nobody looked. Um, And again, that's because of the way that he reported her. It's just a runaway. Went in California. If you, I
0: mean, the most logical conclusion, if if she had, um, if he killed her after school that day, would be that he would have probably disposed of her body right away in, right in that lapse of time between, um, before coming to get you, which would have meant at least, at least five hours, probably more like seven.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and... Isn't that enough time to drive to Desert
1: Center and back? Yeah, he could have done it right then and there. He could have been on his way to California with her at that time. Killed her in California. Middle of desert where there's no cameras. You know, he could have said, Fine, you want to go to California, I'll take you right now. What about that possibility? Mm-hmm. Found that note in her binder, you know, all the all the connections were made in his brain. He thought, Oh, perfect setup. Right. A master plan.
0: I mean, either way, holding on to the body, he would have not done that to, to dispose of it a few days later or a week later. That would have been way too risky. I don't think from everything I know about him, he wouldn't have
1: taken that kind of a risk. No, I don't think he would have made a police report having a body in his house. I think he's probably smarter than that. Um, I don't know what yeah. the smartest plan of attack is in disposing a body, but um, I don't think that would have been it. Would have, the best time would have been right <laughs> away when you were not there. And right. And no one else was home. Well, and I, I, you know, it's it's a small thing, but I um, remember I, I told you, you know, I was at my friend's house smoking cigarettes, and um, at the end, we sprayed ourselves with all this perfume, right? Because we're thirteen and we're twelve, we don't know how to cover up cigarettes, so we're spraying <laughs> like twelve bottles of perfume on ourselves. And I thought for sure he was going to know. And that was the one thing he, you know, he wasn't strict on me and very issues. It's very small things that he would kind of get picky about, and you know, smoking cigarettes was one of them. That's how my mother died. Um, And I thought for sure he was going to catch me. I mean, I smelled like cigarettes and a a gallon of perfume and he didn't Mm -hmm. say anything, you know, and if she was just not answering, like that's a topic you probably would harp on for your 12 year old smoking cigarettes, right? You're not going to be like, well, she's not answering, you know, my 17 year old's not answering her cell phone. I've been away from the home for 30 minutes, according to him or whatever, um,
0: so he yeah. was so distraught that he didn't even notice exactly he was so entwined cigarettes. in
1: his plan that didn't matter to him i mean it's small but it's just something I think no it's about. very interesting actually but the whole time growing up he said you girls would never let me have a wife i'd run them off this whole time growing up i'm like give me a stepmom i would love that but if you're molesting your daughter you can't really have a girlfriend that's involved with your kids right because mm-hmm. he learned that lesson from miss boardman um. Sorry, she was a teacher. That's why I call her yeah, Miss yeah. Boardman. Um. <laughs> she, yeah, she was my sister's teacher. Um. And look what happened there. He brought his first girlfriend in, and Alyssa said, "I've been having sex. You're not right. going to bring any kids. You're not going to bring any girlfriends back to that. They're going to know. Mm-hmm. You don't want your daughter that you're molesting to develop a relationship with an adult woman and be safe with that." Yeah. I and mean, that would make sense why he would say all those things about Alyssa's teachers too. They don't understand you. They don't care. I have to sue the school district. He it's he didn't want her to form any healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we spoke with Charity. You know, who said that he did everything to rip them apart when it seemed like she had a very loving, caring family that was trying to take in Alyssa and kind of you know they made her the birthday cake and yeah, they celebrated her birthday with her. Um, which is beautiful. Why would you not want your child to have that?
0: As we're talking, like, I realize how this calculating mathematical sick plan, you know, must have, I mean, it sounds very much premeditated, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, like like you said, the summer was about to begin, the last day of school, you're out of the way, you know, the note, uh, you know, that had been collected a few days prior and just just
1: everything just kind of set in motion and thought out beforehand when he would have all summer to cover his tracks or maybe go back and visit the body he wouldn't have to worry about taking me to and from school Mm -hmm. you know summers uh, maybe you'd even be
0: preoccupied you know hanging out and you know he wouldn't have to you wouldn't notice his uh you know you would be taking advantage of the fact that he was gone you know you know
1: wouldn't be as accountable for where he was yeah well he, he made an odd statement to me anyway about her last day um and it was um you remember how she kept her room don't you and i said yeah she kept it very neat Com- compared to me i was i was very sloppy um and he goes well you remember her room was all disheveled that day it was everything was a mess and i said no i just remember her backpack poured out on the ground and everything else looked pretty neat and it was almost as if he was offended that I didn't notice that the room was sloppy because maybe he had done that on purpose, right? And and maybe I'm getting way too into it, but mm-hmm. it he was almost like, No, I it was it was really sloppy. Like you were just really sloppy, so you don't remember, mm-hmm. but it was sloppy. Oh, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, Sarah. Of course.
0: You kinda thank you for everything. So, a week after we had this conversation, Sarah went to the police station to have that meeting with the detectives that we referenced before. We talked about it over the phone, and this is what they told her.
3: Hey, Sarah. So, it's November 1st, 2017. What happened today? Um, I went down to the police station and the police, um, Detective Summer Shue and Detective Cooper and the lieutenant... And we were talking about status updates about Alyssa's case and um and I informed them of my conversation with my father.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And at this point they said they don't have what they need to go forward with um presenting a prosecution to the county office. Um so right now there's nothing to do except wait for information to come in with my understanding. Wait for information sorry, what? It's um, my understanding, the only thing left to do is to wait for information to come in for some type of witness, some type of evidence, or something to come in to make it a little more concrete, <clears throat> that so many things wouldn't make it to court. All the circumstantial evidence, um, well, a lot of it, a lot of the story would be cut. And so what they would have left to take to court wouldn't be enough. Okay. So, um, how are you feeling about that? I mean, I'm obviously very disappointed. Um, <clears throat> I tried to come up with solutions like that is, you know, is there an area that you'd like to search for a body? And they, you know, said, no, there's no specific area that they can search for. Um, you know, I offered, can I, can I raise funds for anything? Is there, is there any way I can help? And they just said no. Asked, you know, um, is there an office I can advocate to? They said no. Um mm-hmm. but the lieutenant suggested starting a silent witness campaign. And how are people going to know about that? Right. I don't know. I mean, I wonder how they're planning on advertising that. Right. I feel like that was just kind of their solution to well, we can't prosecute, and there's nothing. But it, it's not that they're not it's not that they're doing nothing, but it's that they're waiting. And, you know, I said, I said, well, he's going to die soon. He's almost 70 years old. I said, if you wait to prosecute, he's going to die before we can see justice. You know, and Detective Summers reiterated that that's not what he wants. And he's worked on this case for a long time. He's been very dedicated um, to which I, um, you know, I uh, thanked him for and, Basically, they were saying, sorry, but there's nothing they can do at this point. Mm -hmm. So I think the silent witness thing was kind of their way of saying, oh, well, here, we'll give you this. Yeah, like something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of what we expected, right? But it's disappointing anyway. Right. No, I didn't have high hopes going into that meeting. I said, I just can't believe that he can get away with this. I said, he's gonna. he will be on the streets. He is on the streets. He will hurt someone again. I said, so is that what we're waiting for? And they just said, well, hopefully he doesn't hurt anyone. And I said, he will. Hurt someone? Yeah. Who do you think he would hurt? I don't know. I don't know what's going through his mind. But from other stories I've seen and read, when the killers get away... They end up taunting, doing something else, trying to, almost trying to get caught again. Well, but so I just fear that he's serial killers, not serial killers. However, yeah. and your dad is obviously not a serial killer. However, um it, because of his pattern of behavior, I believe that he, um he's incapable of just staying put and, and laying low. I mean, if anything, you know, the 30 years of you know, his life that you know we all know about now, um, like show that he's just incapable of um just being at peace because he's not at peace with himself and um you know, he just he always draws attention to himself one way or another or plots something violent, um or fight someone. So he Oh yeah he might he might end up doing something illegal again. Yeah. And then that could be something that gets him in trouble. I just don't want anybody else to get hurt. Right. So, actually, after the Missing in Arizona Day, I sent, I don't know, 25 emails to everybody and anyone I thought would listen. Yeah. Um, Just trying to get more media exposure. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's what they said, too. They said, I said, what can I do? And they said, you're doing it, getting the word out there and whatnot. But, well, and he said that, um, I, you know, he can't give legal advice, but, He's pretty sure I wouldn't have a claim for a civil suit because I'm not a parent. And oh. that the only person that could do that is Steven Strom. Um, okay. No, I don't think that's correct at all. you were the sister. <laughs> no. Like, you if anybody you. has pain and suffering, is it not me? <laughs> um, I played, I played the clip for them of my dad, um, saying the, the deathbed thing. Mm-hmm again they're like yeah that's that's good information like literally crying in their offices no i believe it well just when they got to the point where it's like well that's it there's nothing you know i started you know i started picking up on okay well then this will just be open unless
0: a miracle happens yeah well there is still hope if you made it this far thanks for listening In the next episode, I'll be talking with Charity Thompson. Charity was one of Alyssa's closest friends, and she has some very interesting insight into Alyssa's life. I had not spoken to her before because she was a little scared to come forward, which I completely understand. Please take a minute to review, share, and like the Facebook page. Thanks so much. Missing Alyssa is produced and hosted by me, Ottavia Zappala. Audio editing and production held by Raz Yalov. Our original music was created by Michael Fornwalt. And the artwork was done by Michelle Reyes.